With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The British Olympic and Paralympic teams are fully vaccinated and ready to go for gold at the 2022 Beijing Winter Games. I'm John. And I'm Michael. And this is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic sport podcast. And we are... Beijing bound again as we hear the medal target. Sorry, the medal range. That is the vernacular this time around that Team GB and Paralympics GB could possibly win over the coming weeks. In this episode, we'll hear from the CEO of UK Sport on Beijing and badminton, the latest British sport to conduct an open and honest review into its elite performance programme following complaints. I'll explain that medal range comment shortly. We'll also be revealing the latest British athlete to be picked for Team GB and hear all about the latest plans for the Beijing Paralympics, which is now just 50 days away. We'd love to hear from you as well. You can get in touch anytime at anything but F on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram, on Facebook. Send us a message there. We're online at anythingbutfooty.com. And you can drop me an email and drop John an email. We both pick them up, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. So here we go then, another episode of Anything But Footy and Great Britain could win up to seven medals. That's the medal range at the upcoming Beijing Winter Olympics, which would make it the most successful games ever, John. Yeah, three to seven is what UK Sport have been saying. I've been talking to Dr. Kate Baker, who's the new director of performance at UK Sport. You remember, UK Sport is the agency that oversees the government and national lottery funding, and they decide and oversee the national governing bodies and people like British Swimming and British Athletics and where that money goes. They obviously also give money to GB Snow Sport uh, for the Winter Olympics and that kind of thing. So what Dr. Kate Baker was saying, and look, to be honest, Michael, we're a couple of weeks away from the games we haven't got the full team yet and they're pretty clear on that they reckon more than 70 athletes will go across both the olympics and the paralympics that's about 50 to 55 for team gb that's the olympics don't forget and paralympics gb between 20 and 25 athletes but they reckon we should have the widest number of sports ever so more athletes in more sports 
and also some former summer sports athletes is how Dr. Kate Baker described it. And as I say, we know that there are certain famous Olympic champions who are trying to get into the Team GB for the Winter Olympics at the moment. Uh, We haven't got all the teams confirmed as yet, but that was her kind of take on it they're looking as well for gender balance moving forward that they have as many females as males uh, as they have done in the summer games in fact the females have taken over uh, the men in in some teams and as i said wider sports so three to seven for the olympics five to nine for the paralympics and what dr kate baker said to us is that generally the teams are young dynamic and motivated and it feels like that Michael with who we've spoken to over the last few weeks with some of the team announcements yeah and I think that's been a pattern if you like with the way that sport is changing and certainly Team GB and the British Olympic Association and the UK sport approach is changing I'm not going to say well I am going to say but I'm not going to mean it if that makes sense that we're chasing medals in sports that are easier to win what we are doing is a more strategic and targeted approach in this country and what that meant in Tokyo is we saw medals in skateboarding we saw medals in BMX we saw tremendous success in BMX it was fantastic it meant a great games for British cycling but the more traditional events that we know and love and have seen terrific success in like the velodrome events the track cycling the medal hall wasn't so great so what we are seeing in UK sport at the moment is these governing bodies that are in receipt of these monies from the agency UK sport and the additional funding that you might get from Sport England or Sport Scotland, whatever, the National Lottery, they are being used in cleverer and more niche ways. And that is why I think we're going to see some of these younger, so-called more exciting, more dynamic disciplines, things like freestyle snowcross and snowboard. They will be the events where we'll probably see British medals when we get round to the Winter Olympics, which start, of course, on the 4th of February, and the Winter Paralympics, which start on the 4th of March. Now, we've seen £27 million invested from the government, National Lottery, through UK Sport, into these world-class elite programmes for the Olympic and the Paralympic winter sports. That's for the Beijing cycle. There is a further £5 million from the National Lottery that's gone in. So I think what we probably need to let people know is a lot of the narrative we're going to hear over the next couple of weeks, let's say there's a British medal in bobsleigh, the headline for that is going to be they don't get funding. They don't get UK fund, sport funding. What they do get is support. And that support is still financial. And there are, of course, all the other support methods that UK sport have around the team as well. So I'm excited. I'm excited about Beijing. It is going to be very much an unknown. We'll repeat a lot of what we said ahead of Tokyo, which is these games will be about the nations and the teams that have perhaps coped with COVID best. We saw in Tokyo with the summer athletes, that means British athletes, I think, should do quite well. And it's interesting, Andy Anson, who's the chief exec of Team GB, uh, talked about the fact that they were keeping all their fingers crossed that that there would be spectators in Beijing. There's a bit of uncertainty about it uh, still at the moment, um, as you mentioned, with the game starting in less than a couple of weeks' time. But he, he described it as a total positive for the games if you can have spectators in there. We, we, of course, you spoke to a lot of people at Tokyo, and I think what the athletes really missed and it's something that we didn't really think about too much in advance 
was that their families had been there all the time and they're not going to be there. And of course, the families still won't be there this time, but there will be friendly faces. There will be support. And I think that will be, an, a, again, a different dynamic from Tokyo. They describe Tokyo as a one-off Olympics. Beijing is quite similar uh, in terms of all the COVID protocols. And we'll talk more about that, I'm sure, as the podcast goes on. But it's great that, fingers crossed, there will be spectators. Although the IOC uh, have said this week they're not quite convinced that that will still happen shortly we will be revealing the name of the latest person on the team sheet as it were for team gb that is in the sport of luge and we'll be hearing from i'm going to give a clue here him as well (laughs) but before that more on this kind of funding and this medal range and the general conversation around athlete welfare and we've been speaking to the chief executive of uk sport that is sally monday and she's been telling us how they have been preparing alongside the british olympic association and the british paralympic association for the games which are coming up shortly oh gosh it's uh, it's incredible to see two games within within six months i don't think probably any of us ever thought that we'd see this in our lifetimes um, and I have to say, hats off to the British Olympic Association, the British Paralympic Association, but also the just the wider high performance sporting system, the institutes of sport. Just incredible being able to shift from, uh, you know, normally having that that break point. But for everyone involved, I think it's it's been quite incredible. But also, I guess, I guess also really exciting. <laughs> And, and with the excitement, the, the cloud, if you like, the COVID cloud that kind of keeps coming and going and, and, and the challenges that that brings are second games with during the pandemic. Yeah, I think one of the things that we said to the sports about 18 months ago, so when we were about, I think, two months into the pandemic, we said to all of the sports, um, who knows what the next period is going to hold? And actually, the sports and the athletes that are going to be successful are the ones that are going to be the ones that can be most adaptable, most flexible. Um, We are in an environment in high performance sport in this country that where one of our greatest advantages that we have is that we place such a high emphasis on planning and attention to detail. Um, The problem is in a pandemic is that you're not doing sort of plan A, B and C. You're probably down to plan X, Y and Z. And uh, so it's really about having to utilize the skills that we've got across our community to plan, replan, replan. But we also know that a lot of our staff and a lot of the athletes, they, they like the certainty of, um, of what's in front of them. And I think, again, what has been demonstrated over this last period is just the incredible adaptability and resilience of people that no, they can't operate in their normal mode. They've got to think differently. They've got to be prepared for things to change. And for the winter sports, you know, to be in this place where we are now, where the 13th of January, and um, we're still not um, through all the qualification events is quite extraordinary. Um, so again, um, huge applause to all of those that have adapted to, to be in a position where we're taking such an exciting team to, to Beijing. And Sally, with that background and with conversations around mental health and well-being more open, more honest than ever before, are you supporting your athletes and how are you supporting your athletes with all that uncertainty and the fact that we're at this stage and we still don't know the makeup of the team, for example? Yeah, so I think um, uh, athletes are very used to the experience of what it feels like to go through selection. and 
the closer you are to an event, obviously, you know, your focus is on selection. The experience that I had of um, running a sport for 10 years, one of the things that I always reflect on now is that actually the period of selection can be more stressful than the period of the games them themselves. And I think for the winter sports, because there's so much unpredictability and jeopardy um, in, in the type of sports that a lot of those sports are, um, you know, you can go into something being in the, in the, in the best shape of your life. But, you know, you're, you're on ice, you're on snow, you're on, you know, there's, there's, there's so many things that, that increase, increase that jeopardy. What's important from our point of view with both what the sports do, what we do, the institutes of sports do and the BON and the BPA, our, our role is about providing and wrapping around the athletes the best possible environment and support to enable them to achieve their ambitions. A lot of that is around obviously the sport itself, but a lot of it is also about the, the, the mental and physical support that they need to be in the best shape of their lives. There's been huge support over the last period in preparing them. There'll be support um, on, on the ground in Beijing. There's helplines for athletes whilst they're in Beijing. And then there'll be a whole decompression process when, when they return. Uh, like we saw in Tokyo, this, this is another games, kind of a, a bit like no other for these athletes. And uh, our job is, is really focusing on the welfare of the athletes and the staff going and making sure that everybody goes and is able to be the best that they can be and go there safely and come home safely. And talking of ambition, if I can read from the release today, intelligence gathered by UK Sport suggests that British athletes have the potential to win between three to seven medals at the Winter Olympics and five to nine medals at the Winter Paralympics. Is that a target? So we've taken a very deliberate approach to talk about ranges rather than targets. Um, a, a pandemic really does does change things in terms of how you think of things. We know that with the most recent variant of of the um, of COVID, that it's increasing the risks of any of us not being able to actually get to the games if we contract COVID. And so what we've done is we've looked at, OK, let's let's take into account the fact that we we very much hope and expect that we'll be able to get everybody there. But we also accept that not only with the pandemic, but also with the increased sort of unpredictability, as I said, of, of winter games, that um, anything can happen on 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 the day. And so we don't see it as a target, but we do see it as a realistic range of where we might end up. Um, our stars of the snow and ice are, are ready to showcase what they can do, their skill, their character, their daring. Um, and uh, we're, we're pretty confident we will land somewhere in that range. Sally, you mentioned there about the excitement when, when we spoke uh, at the press conference earlier about the exciting sports of Tokyo. So the BMX, the skateboards, the, the wheelchair rugby. Sometimes with Winter Olympics and Paralympics, there's even more excitement to come and, 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 and try to reach out and across and, and get the British public kind of behind them. That, that, that's a, a big task over the next few weeks for people to get behind these kind of different but exciting sports. So look, one of the joys of the Olympic and Paralympic Games that we know is that the British public love them and they engage with them. And part of that is they get to see sports that they're not seeing week in, week out on the, on the TV. And what we did see in Tokyo was the British public really engaging with sports they hadn't really seen before. And I'm expecting the same thing to happen. But we also know that some of the sports that have been in the games for a while um, really capture the imagination of the British public. We go curling crazy 
um, during the, the Winter Games. I mean, all of us, I think, um, you know, so many of us, but particularly us that are our sports fans, we just we just get hooked on these things. But I think what's really exciting for the winters is the new disciplines that have been introduced over the last few games. Some of the you know things like border cross and ski cross and the excitement of, of, of those sports. But also we're seeing new disciplines in some of the more traditional sports. So the mixed curling that's coming up, really exciting. I think that's going to capture the imagination uh, of the British fans. And and what we know is that. We as Brits love to see Brits doing well on the international stage. And what we've got is a group of athletes um, with a huge amount of talent that I think are going to put a lot of smiles on our faces over the next couple of months. I think as well, we're going to send the, the, the number of athletes across the widest uh, number of sports, which is which is great to see, as, as you say, some of those exciting new ones. Um, you oversee, obviously, the 27 million that was spent uh, from the National Lottery and the government. You, that's what UK sport do. Um, is it fair that some sports miss out a little bit more? We, we, we've spoken to a, a long track speed skater who has to create his own coffee um, business to, to try and fund him. Could, could some of the money be spread a little wider if we want even more sports to, to, to get British success? So what you'll have seen from UK Sport uh, over the last period is that we launched a longer term strategy last year. And what we're trying to do is create the greatest decade of extraordinary sporting moments. And as part of that, what we want to do is to try and be successful in a broader range of sports. So you'll have seen the investment decisions that we made for the summer sports uh, last year. We are investing in more sports than we have ever done before. With regards to the winters, and one of the really good things about how agile our system and our investment system can be, is that we have been able over the last year to increase the number of winter sports that we can invest in. We created a thing called the Beijing Support Fund. So whilst at the beginning of the cycle, there may have been sports where that potential seemed very unlikely, if that potential has grown over the cycle, what that's allowed us to do is then invest in another seven sports who aren't part of the world-class programme to give them some preparation for qualifying and getting to Beijing. So everything from um, biathlon, bobsleigh, um, uh, speed skating is, is both short track and, and, the, and, the, and the speed skating. But all of those we've been able to make some investment in. And obviously what we'll be looking to do post the Winter Games is looking forward to uh, Cortina Milan uh, and the investments that we'll be making. But we're very clear that what we're trying to do is to sort of give opportunities to the most talented athletes who will enable us to be successful across a broader range of disciplines. And, and if selection go, sorry, not selection, qualification goes as we hope it might, um, we could well be taking a team to compete in the most disciplines that we've ever seen. I think uh, the most we've ever had before is eight. And if everyone qualifies, we will be taking athletes to compete in nine disciplines. And just finally, Sally, I just wondered if we could get your reaction to the report that came out about badminton England this week, saying that they must introduce some fundamental cultural, behavioural and procedural changes, turning our attention to summer sport. What's the reaction from UK sport on what that report has discovered with badminton England and with what it said about their treatment of some of their elite names like Chris Langridge and Marcus Ellis? We were um, we we're obviously um, pleased to see um, badminton 
uh, respond to the, the walk the floor exercise that took place last year. And I guess probably where I want to start in responding to your question is that we're really clear that anyone working or involved in the high performance community has got to be committed to just the highest standards of ethics and integrity. And anyone unwilling to be part of that and sign up to that commitment just, just isn't welcome. Um, the reality is that, that we are a human based business. We're a people business. And I think that we will always, um, uh, being a people-based business, um, find that there are people that want to be part of our community who frankly won't adhere and uphold the standards of behavior that we expect. I think that uh, what's important about where badminton have got to is that they've recognized that there are things that need to be different. They've been through um, a really thorough process to identify those things. And I think what's really important is that the athletes and the performance staff and the leadership of the governing body come together to um, be, be really um, collaborative about how they as a community make sure that the environment is as good as it can be for the athletes and the staff that work in it. Uh, it's tough in high performance sport where you're trying to be the best in the world but just because it's tough doesn't mean it can't be a positive experience for everyone involved. And we are very clear that every athlete that comes through programs that we invest in, that we want them to be able to finish their careers, finish their time in a program that we invest in and look back and whether they've achieved their aspirations or not from a performance perspective, be able to look back and say, do you know what? On the whole, I had a really positive experience. And I think for the vast majority of the athletes, you know, over a thousand athletes that, that we fund and support, I think that's the case, but that doesn't mean that we are not going to be really, really strong on rooting out behaviour that isn't appropriate. So just a couple of things on that, Michael, before we, we move on. You asked Sally the question about badminton, and it's important because before Tokyo, as you rightly said, Marcus Ellis and Chris Langridge were not happy with the selection process, and then other things came out of, of what was going on in their elite performance team. It's a really interesting one, um, badminton, I think, because they won that medal, of course, in 2016 in Rio. And then we were expecting that that was going to be this little bit of a lift off launch pad, having had a couple of editions of the games where they probably come up short. London, especially badminton, along with swimming, were two of the, the write offs, if you like, as far as British Olympic performance was in London. Not good. They won that medal against the odds. No one really predicted it. I think they did have a medal target maybe of one for Rio. But then the funding went away. And I remember we spoke to Adrian Christie, who's the chief executive at Badminton England. At the time, he's not there now. He's with Table Tennis England as an interim chief executive there now. We spoke to him. He was the first ever guest on our Great British Bosses um, podcast. And he said that came as a complete shock when they lost the funding. They had to redefine the organisation in terms of where they were going to bring their money in, make it a more commercially minded organisation. Lots of organisations in elite sport in this country are going through that process at the moment. They don't want to be so aligned with UK sport. And I'm sure that we're going to hear more about that during 2022 with other organisations concerned with top level athletes. So they then lost that funding after Rio, went to Tokyo. It all seemed to be a bit of a mess in the build up. Didn't obviously repeat the success, but they are now a funded sport again. 
Um, and there are, as I've mentioned, the chief executive has gone from Badminton England that was in charge for, I think, around about 15 years. There are new people in charge now, and obviously UK Sport are taking a great deal of interest in this, and that is all around this, this medals and more strategy now. They know that they can't just be an organisation that are pumping money into sport at a winner-takes-all, a winner-at-all-costs mentality. They know that they have to be looking after these athletes who, you know, in some cases are very complex individuals and, and you know, need need that blanket around them. We, we're talking about winter sport on this podcast. We we think about Elise Christie, um, speed skater, of course, and, you know, all of the conversations that Elise Christie has had around all her difficulties, um, you know, in the last cycle and the cycle before that, we need to support these athletes. Now, we know Elise Christie is not going to make these games for, for various reasons, injuries and, and illness have obviously impacted her build-up. But UK Sport now have to be talking to these bodies that they're funding and making sure that they are keeping them to the very, very highest standards. And that's what Sally Mundy, I think, was saying to us in that conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And UK Sports celebrating their 25th birthday uh, this year. I'm not singing. I'm not singing, John. (laughs) It came, of course, after the awful 1996 Atlanta Olympics and bringing in the way and changes that the athletes were funded and stuff. But I hear there is a location in London where you could have a good party. Uh, that might be available. Cheese and wine? Cheese and wine (laughs) for that one, maybe? Bring your own, I think it might be, uh, as well. But in in all seriousness, happy birthday uh, to UK Sport, and uh, fingers crossed, as we hear, uh, I've heard from Sally, that those medal ranges are something that uh, Team GB and Paralympics GB can can match. And Pyeongchang, of course, Sochi as well, their most successful Winter Olympic and Paralympics uh, in British history. This is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic podcast. On to the latest Team GB announcement. And we can reveal the latest name. It was a, a slight hint from Michael that Rupert Staudinger, is the latest name for Team GB heading off to the Olympics in the luge, Michael. Yeah, and it's a terrific announcement as far as Rupert is concerned, heading off to his second games. I think he would certainly look back at his experience four years ago as an experience. And, you know, I think um, we'll probably hear when, when the interviews are done with Rupert closer to the time that, you know, I think it was very much a learning curve for him in Pyeongchang. He's back there this time, a serious medal hope. Probably not, in all honesty, as far as um, GB is concerned. But you never know when sport is on snow and ice. But it will also be tinged, I think, very much with sadness for Rupert. And I think, obviously, for the British Olympic team as well. Because we lost, around Christmas time, AJ Rosen, who was a British Olympic loser. He was very much the standout loser as as far as sort of Team GB Great Britain is concerned. He fought a very brave battle uh, with cancer. He'd represented GB in 2006, uh, 2010 as well. Also qualified for 2018 with, with no funding. But uh, as I said, we lost AJ Rosen. And Rupert has told us that he will be paying his own special tribute to AJ Rosen when he competes in the luge in Beijing. Yeah, it's ever so sad. Um, I still I still can't can't believe it really I mean AJ has been more than a teammate a great friend um, and and he's yeah I think without him I, I would have not made it to the last Winter Olympics 
he's been a, a tutor to me. He um, he shared all his experiences and and helped me so much. Um, so yeah, his death is ever so tra- tragic, and um, yeah, it's, it's unbelievably sad. He went to three Olympics, of course, the Winter Olympics, and is described as the best ever luge athlete for Great Britain. Yes, I can absolutely underline that, stress that. Um, AJ has been amazing. He's such a good slider. Even big nations or big nation losers um, say that he's been an incredible um, loser. And and I can I can just say the same. I always looked up to him and um, try to yes slide like him and um, that's all I can say he's he's been a, an amazing athlete yeah and Rupert there'll be no better bigger tribute to AJ than you getting out there to Beijing and and doing your very best I presume absolutely um, I even have like on my on my helmet I have a little uh, memory uh, rest in peace peace AJ sign on it and um yeah it's it's also gonna be for him I know he's looking looking down on me and hoping for the best um, and hopefully seeing me doing well well said Rupert and all the best to all of the team and there will be more announcements in the days and weeks to come so stay with anything but footy make sure you follow us uh, whether you listen on Apple or Amazon or whatever, press the follow button and you will get all the latest information as we head into Beijing. Our first Winter Olympics is anything but footy, Yeah, uh, Michael, which is, uh, I'm quite looking forward to it. I think it's so di- it's so different. And what I didn't realise is it's just the same length. It's three weekends. It's two and a half weeks of brilliant sport. For everyone that enjoyed sitting up through the night watching the Tokyo Games, <laughs> me especially, every night without fail, I was in front of my my screen from 11 o'clock every night. But not just me, millions of people across the country, all the people yeah. that download and listen to this podcast, they maybe didn't sit up every night and watch it quite so much as I did. But they will have got up, and I know people that stayed up or whatever, to watch Sky Brown in skateboarding and watch Bombette Martin make history as the first ever Olympic skateboarder to watch Kai White and Bethany Shriver in BMX, for example. There will be people doing that again. They will have that no- another chance to watch these new, these exciting, these dynamic sports. And there will be names that people do not know right now that in two and a half, three weeks, people will be going to their local snow centres or they will be going to their local curling rinks and they'll be pretending to be Katie Ormerod or Rizzy Atkins or Charlotte Banks or Bruce Moore, whoever that name is, there will be people doing that. We all know that the brooms are coming out in the kitchens. Yeah, let's exactly. Be, let's be honest. There's going to be lots of sweeping uh, going on. Now, talking of uh, things that need to be done before these Olympics and Paralympics, and we mentioned this at the start of the programme, All it's been announced that all Team GB and all Paralympics GB athletes and support staff have been fully vaccinated. Some of them have been boosted as well. And also what's been announced is that with COVID, of course, uh, still sweeping the words, uh, the world, the latest variant, Omicron, um, seeing big numbers. You see what's going on in Australia at the moment with high numbers and a crowd capacity being reduced at the Australian Open and the whole row about Novak Djokovic coming in and out of the country. All of the teams for Great Britain, all the athletes have 
been vaccinated and we're told that it wasn't mandated it was it, there was a rule the chinese organizers said if you're not vaccinated you have to come into the country and and quarantine for 21 days um but as you'll hear in a in a moment it doesn't seem that like that was the reason why team gb and paralympics gb athletes have done it they just all uh, have looked and spoken to doctors and feel that that's the right thing to do they've also announced michael the most comprehensive tests than anywhere in the world if you are going uh, as a, a team support for Team GB and Paralympics GB or an athlete, you have to have five PCRs before you go and lateral flow tests and health monitoring as well. And that is more than what the Beijing organisers are asking for. And it's all about, and we talked about this before Tokyo, it's about getting the athletes on the start line. And people are uh, isolating at the moment and removing themselves as as the advice has been very much from the IOC and Beijing organisers. But that is what people are doing. And the whole purpose of what Team GB and Paralympics GB are doing at the moment is to get the athletes to the Games. And absolutely. I mean, looking at the, the GB selection, Team GB selection, of course, we know that Great Britain have competed at every Winter Olympics since... France, 1924, Chamonix, when you were just a lad. Uh, we've got a, a squad of, we think, around about 50 going this time around. Um, limited amounts of uh, medals over the uh, previous editions. 23 Winter Games. Britain have won just 32 medals in total, although seven more were won in figure skating when it was part of the 1908 and 1920 Summer Olympics. But there is this upward curve from Sochi in 2014 and Pyeongchang in 2018. As you've said, a lot of these teams are still to be announced. We still need to find out whether they will get to the start line. We know who our figure skaters will be. We know who our curlers will be. We know that we've got four speed skaters going there, particularly looking forward to watching Cornelius Kirsten in long track for the first time since 1992 in the 1,000 metres and the 1,500 metres. We've got the brothers, Farrell and Noel Tracy, and Cat Thomas as well. As well. Cat Thompson, sorry, as well, who, as we've mentioned, is going sort of as the sole female with no Elise Christie this time. Bob is going to be an interesting team selection, I think, and there's a lot of focus on this. The Bob Slay World Cup, Great Britain's four-man sled, have won a third silver medal of the season. We've seen Greg Rutherford finally make his debut as a professional uh, bobsleigh athlete as well. Whether he makes it to the Games is still very much up in the air. So as far as Team GB are concerned, the athletes are being named at the moment. There'll be some more. As far as the Winter Paralympics are concerned, uh, the BPA have named their curlers and there will be some more names to come onto that list, of course. And we've been speaking to the man who is in charge of the team heading to the Paralympics. He is Chef Demission of Paralympics GB, He's Phil Smith. Will definitely be our biggest team, we think, since 1998 back in Nagano. Um, and depending on where we end up with those final qualification numbers, it could be our biggest team ever. So it's really exciting to be taking such a big team, but but also a really competitive team as well. And one of the issues is the qualifying that's still going on. I mean, you've got a whole team out in Lilyhammer at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think... It's not unusual at this stage for winter athletes to still be trying to compete uh, to qualify, or at least some of them. Uh, it's it's pretty standard practice. The season runs right through to before the games. 
obviously, uh, the, the fact that it's a world championships uh, this close, um, it was postponed from last year, um, does add an extra layer of challenge. But actually, it's an opportunity for our guys to go out and test themselves against the world and hopefully uh, ruffle a few feathers before the Paralympic Games. Now, we know that elite sport in this country has in the past been very driven by targets and targets equal funding. UK Sport are suggesting today five to nine medals at the Winter Paralympics, but they're saying that's not a target, Phil. So so what is it if it's not a target? I think it's a, it's a range that the UK Sport believe that the team we're taking can achieve. And, and I think that that's something that um, we, we're supportive of. We, we know, as I've said, that this is the most competitive team we've taken to a Games before. We've got medal opportunities from more athletes and more sports than ever before. Um, we've, we've had success in Sochi and in Pyeongchang, uh, where we won six and seven medals. Uh, but, but most of those medals came from a couple of athletes in one, one discipline in our visually impaired uh, skiing team. And whilst we are obviously looking forward to seeing those guys go again, it's brilliant that we've got more alpine skiers, Nordic skiers, snowboarders and our wheelchair curlers who are all consistently producing top five performances on the world stage, which puts us in a really good position to challenge for medals across the team. And do you think it's important that even though we've had so many challenges, we still have so many challenges on the table with covid that there is still some benchmarking around elite sport because people are still you know buying the lottery tickets they're still funding a lot of these athletes to these games yeah absolutely and if you ask the athletes what they're in it for uh, it's performance driven they're going out to produce their best performances now for different athletes that will mean different things but every athlete is going out to achieve their personal best at the paralympic games whether that be a top five finish or a gold medal. So I think it is important that we have a way of measuring uh, success, but th this is a team that isn't going to be defined just by a number of medals at the end of the day, will be defined by the performances that we put in um, across the field of play. And Michael mentioned the dreaded C word, uh, obviously COVID, but you are taking a fully vaccinated team out to Beijing uh, and staff as well. Yeah, every member of our delegation will be fully vaccinated, uh, which is obviously a great place to be, um, both individually and for all of our teammates as we go in. And I think something that we are keen to ensure, just to make sure that no one has to go through the 21 days of quarantine on arrival in China, which the organising committee have said will need to be in place for anyone unvaccinated. But actually, we know it helps to um, secure the safety of our team. And it's a great place to be going into Beijing. I mean, we've seen with Novak Djokovic in the last week or so that the uncertain rules don't really help. So actually with the Chinese and, and uh, I often praise the IOC, but obviously always praise the IPC. But those those rules about the 21 days, unless you're vaccinated, that's actually helped. These are what, what it takes to go and compete at this world level. Absolutely. And I think it's safe to say that that for certainly the vast majority, if not all of our team, it hasn't needed that 21 day quarantine hanging over them as a reason to go out and get vaccinated. Um, but we are really comfortable that we are going in to the Games, knowing that everyone is fully vaccinated and that we won't have any, anyone having to do that 21 days quarantine or anyone having hopefully any issues when they arrive in China.
poor old Phil, he went to Tokyo as the deputy. Now he's in charge of chef division. I don't think he slept probably in the last six months. He's not going to sleep much over the next few weeks. We wish him we yes. wish him well uh, for, for Paralympics GB. And some good news that came out, the IOC and also the cha- uh, Tokyo organisers from 2020, revealing that there was no data, uh, no sequencing data from the, this is from the government of Japan, that there was no spread of the new coronavirus between participants of the postponed Olympic and Paralympic Games in Tokyo last year and the local population. So the, the bubble that was created in Tokyo did its job effectively. And I've been told that when the guys go to Beijing, the, there's going to be improved isolation. It's something that the British Olympic Association and others have talked to the IOC about and said, you, you can't just, if someone's tested positive or test and trace, you can't just throw them into a darkened room somewhere you've got to still look after them it's not uh, it's not right that that may have happened elsewhere so there will be hotels for isolation if you do test positive uh, rather than just hospitals which i think there was in tokyo and the village the athlete's village will be the place where you will isolate for test and trace and you can carry on doing your training and your um, exercise before because Obviously, you will be hoping that you will still be competing. So I think that's an important step that has been taken. And everybody's learning lessons uh, between these um, between these two games. No one knows what what COVID was going to do with Tokyo. They obviously did the best job that they could. The city was worried about the number of people coming in. It looks like it did do what it was what they said was going to happen and now it's down for for beijing and this whole control loop that they've set up uh, this huge bubble uh, right around the olympics and and the paralympics to make sure and protect the athletes and everyone involved yeah i think firstly credit to tokyo for getting the olympics and the paralympics away if you like when there were so many barriers in their way but there will, of course, as there is with everything, learnings from Tokyo. So we always remember those those headlines, wasn't it? Six British athletes forced to self-isolate after contacts on the, the journey out, the plane out. I think certainly subsequently some athletes have admitted that upset their preparations, for example. So, you know, this is being looked at, has been looked at with Beijing, and there will hopefully then be a better process in place. But that fear that the Olympics, the Paralympics was going to be a super spreading event that we were going to see roaring record numbers doesn't appear to have come to fruition. Um, you know, and that is obviously something that took place in the height of the summer in Tokyo. But I think by and large, the measures that were put in place, the protocols that were put in place, the fact that it was behind closed doors worked. And take that as your blueprint sorry, playbook in the IOC (laughs) language, add some more detail to it, some of those learnings that we're now able to add because we know what happened in Japan and we will hope that we'll get a similar outcome from these winter games of the Olympics and Paralympics. Yeah, a a press conference that I attended earlier, they were asked, uh, the Team GB and Paralympics GB, we heard from Phil Smith, Georgie Harland, uh, the first uh, female chef de mission for Team GB 
could they guarantee that all athletes would get to the start line? Of course, they, they can't guarantee that, but they can put, as you say, everything in place to try and make that happen. And we wish them the best of luck. Beijing 2022 starts on February 4th. Stay with us. Follow anything but footy because we will have all those other team announcements for you over the days to come. Because as Michael suggested, there's some big decisions with some surprise names in or out, I would assume, over the course of the next week. So make sure you stay with anything but footy. Let's run through some of the other Olympic and Paralympic sport headlines, including one that I'm seriously excited about, John. I see this July date in 2022. I see you and I sat by the River Seine together. Maybe (laughs) some Borsan on the go. Maybe a (laughs) bottle of something nice. Chilled, maybe. Yeah, we'll bring our own. Some A nice cheese and wine party on the banks of the River Seine. And with everyone's permission to do it, watching the opening ceremony of the Olympic Games in Paris. But more on that in a moment. <laughs> the fallout from the 2021 delayed 2020 Olympics is happening currently and has been happening over the past few weeks. And we'll start with rowing, who had a disappointing games, a very disappointing games at the Olympics in Tokyo. Paralympics was a better performance. So the GB rowing team have acted by appointing Paul Stannard as its new men's Olympic head coach, following what they described as a two-stage interview process. He's taken on the role with immediate effect. He's worked with British rowing for over 18 years and since 2013 has led the men's sculling team uh, to both the Rio 2016 and delayed Tokyo Olympics. So a brand new role, a brand new man in charge, Paul Stannard now in charge of Olympic rowing. And to quote the Beatles, a few more hellos and goodbyes, and particularly Danny Kerry, the most successful coach in the history of hockey in Great Britain. After 17 years, he has announced he is stepping down from his role as head coach of the men's programme. He took them to Tokyo 2020 in 2021, but he will, of course, be well remembered for the success as he led the women's team, along with some brilliant players uh, like Helen Richardson-Walsh and Kate Richardson-Walsh and Alex Danson and so many um, of those brilliant hockey players for that gold at Rio 2016 and also the bronze in London four years earlier. Well done to Danny Kerry. Yep, and also another Danny, Danny Talbot, John, is uh, retiring from athletics as well. What do you mainly remember? What's your your Danny Talbot memory? Uh, Just that he won a gold medal. In uh, London 2017, it was in the four by one. And that um, amazing night standing in the depths of the London Stadium uh, because we weren't allowed to actually watch the actual races and the finish line was in touching distance and we could hear the roar. And I just remember the roar. I always thought that at the Olympics, the London Stadium was the best place to watch sport. I think the atmosphere that you get in that stadium, uh, even when West Ham are beating Norwich in it, is an impressive, sorry to mention football, uh, is an impressive noise and I remember Danny Talbot and of course Adam Jamili and the rest of the the 4x1 crew winning that gold medal um, a friend of mine wasn't that impressed, I think, when they went to see Guns and Roses there. <laughs> par- apparently they, they couldn't get served for beer. Um, but 
that's uh, an aside, but it's it's not football anyway, which is what you've brought up there. So, yeah, um, best wishes to Danny Talbot, his uh, retirement from competitive athletics. And talking of, uh, as you said, hellos and goodbyes, we say goodbye uh, to a friend of ours, Ian Dyer, who was the lead track coach for the Great Britain cycling team. He is leaving British cycling after 21 years working to support riders at British cycling to achieve their best. He joined British cycling in 2000, of course. And uh, I remember we spoke to Ed Clancy a while back. And I was going to say, who are you going to have a cup of tea with just well, before yes. the, next, the next Olympics? Yeah, well, I, I was going to say 2000 was a great time to join British Cycling because you had Jason Queeley and then we were chatting to Ed Clancy a while back, weren't we? And he was saying that, you know, just to have been around British Cycling in that 20-year period where Jason Queeley's medal led to, you know, what happened subsequently and then obviously the Chris Hoy, Victoria Pendleton success and then obviously we've seen the Jason Kenny, Laura Kenny success both getting honours in the, the New Year's list, of course, Dame Laura and Sir Jason now. But, yeah, Ian Dyer is the man that uh, I went to see. I've said this before, told this story before, but very briefly. Went to see, had a cup of tea with him in Rio on the eve of the track cycling programme. And he sat me down and he went through the list of all the track cyclists and said, Michael, they're all going to win a medal. <laughs> and I thought, well, that's a, a bold prediction. And I remember saying that to Stephen Park, that Ian Dyer had said that. And there was a sharp intake of breath and... Uh, Stephen was saying that, but that's maybe slightly above Ian's pay grade to make those kind of <laughs> suggestions to you, Michael. But he was right. He was absolutely right. They all did win a medal. And, you know, 21 years at British Cycling, um, all the success that we've seen uh, with the track, we wish Ian Dyer, lead coach for the Great Britain cycling tra- team, all the very best. Yeah, we will uh, certainly miss him. And Michael certainly will with his tips. I will, uh, I will. It went, it went down very well at TalkSport when you <laughs> it, re- revealed that. And, it did. Uh, and everyone was like, wow, Michael is a genius, uh, as we all know he is. And talking of uh, sitting down before the Olympics uh, with a nice cup of tea or a bottle of something else, as Michael has hinted it's at. It's got to be a the... good coffee or a glass of red or white. I think it's got to be a glass of red in Paris for the spectacular opening ceremony plans for the River Seine. Remember, David Beckham in a speedboat under Tower Bridge and then all the way up the River Lee to the Olympic Stadium for London 2012. Well, Paris, as of course they will try to, are going to outdo London, it seems, because what they have said, instead of the traditional stadium setting, Paris 2024 will be set against the opening ceremony, will be set against the backdrop of one of the most iconic cities on the river. More than 160 boats will carry delegations along a six-kilometre route uh, past monuments as famous as the Notre Dame Cathedral, the Louvre and the Eiffel Tower. It sounds spectacular. It does sound spectacular. I am mindful of, and we are in Platinum Jubilee year, the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Thames (laughs) River pageant. That was a bit of a washout, in all honesty. It, didn't it rain? Uh, it rained constantly, I think. Um, and I can remember trying to follow the TV coverage. Well, it will be nearly 10 years ago now and um, thinking that looks like a, a sad event. But let's hope from everything that we've heard about this, that this will be, you know, something absolutely spectacular. Again, another fantastic innovation for the Olympics. You know, we've seen these spectacular stadium-based opening ceremonies 
Beijing in 2008 was probably a high point. We know what Danny Boyle did in London. It was different. It was humorous. It was fantastic. It really resonated with the British viewers at home and in the stadium. Rio had to bring it back. Tokyo couldn't do what they wanted to do. Paris are doing something different. And, you know, I, for one, really looking forward to it. Eiffel, for one. Very good. Uh, as ever, you can get in touch anytime at Anything But F on Twitter or you can message us on Insta and Facebook. Our website is anythingbutfooty.com or you can email us at any time. We're on it 24 hours a day, frankly. Uh, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. Uh, it has been a pleasure, as always, uh, Michael, to talk Olympics with you. I hope you've enjoyed our Olympic chat and we will have more to come. And as I've said, follow anything but footy for the latest because we are Beijing bound over the next couple of weeks Sports Social Podcast Network Every day we rise challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in At US Border Patrol protecting our borders is more than a job it's a calling Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.